We've been in a looking at uh, our vision lately, and we've had we've got the five components or the five commitments of our vision. I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen or you missed one of those, and you consider yourself a part of the Western Hills Church, I want to encourage you, go back to our YouTube channel. You'll find the sermons there. They've been condensed down to where there's a playlist now of all those sermons. It's just the sermons, not the entire worship on it. And review those, because this is going to guide us as we go forward, and especially as we come back into this letter of 1 Corinthians. You're going to see these things appear again and again, not because I'm going to try to make them, force them into every sermon, but because these are things that come from Scripture. And you just heard, as, as Todd read that, this is a letter that was written to a church at a particular time and place. And I want to take us back into that just for a moment. I want to take us back into this beginner's guide to church. Because we're treating this as if we're brand new at this. In many ways, we are. Uh, I've had multiple conversations. In fact, I had one just this past week where somebody was asking me what they thought has happened to the church. And it doesn't mean just this church, but church across the landscape of our country. Especially as we came out of quarantines. We've come out of the last year and two that's been so such a struggle. And as we visited, the thought just kept coming up again and again that, we're, we're back to the starting point again. We've, we, we have to go back and figure out you know, what is it that God really wants and take away some of the things that we've kind of built up and they were nice and they were wonderful and they were great, except they weren't core. And so we're going to go back into this scripture, this letter that a man named Paul wrote to a particular place. And so to understand that, when I, I, I'm going to dive back into a, not quite a verse by verse, but we're going to go chapter by chapter at least through the rest of this letter. And that's what we have in our Testaments is a letter. But to understand that, I want to remind us who received this and what, what was the occasion for this. And so, if you would, indulge me, I'm going to walk us back through uh, Corinth again. And so, here's a picture of ancient Corinth. This is a city that you can go visit today. You can see the ruins. In fact, it's one of the most spectacular ruins that we have in all of that part of the world now. And this city grew up for several reasons. And one of them is this mountain in the back. That's the Acrocorinth, or the Acropolis, the upper city. And if you were a city in that day and time, you needed two things before you became a functioning city. One was a way to defend yourself. And you can see that the high ground would have been a great way to defend. So that was occupied for centuries and millennium, that high ground. In fact, it was not vacated until the 19th century. And the second thing you need is a clean water source. And on top of, or right near the top of the um, Acrocorinth, this mountain in the background, there is a spring that still flows to this day. And so that those two things allowed a city to spring up and grow at the base of this. And the idea was that if they ever were in trouble, if you were ever being invaded, you rushed up to the high ground and you could withstand whatever assault or siege was brought to you. And so Corinth became a strong, growing city. Now, that's why the city was there. Then there's a whole nother reason of why it became such a prosperous and wealthy city. Let me show you it on a map. We've got, I'm going to have to stop stepping on my cord. The um, Corinth Falls right here 
on this little, and we're going to do a little bit of geography, isthmus, okay? And it, sound, it sounds like I'm mispronouncing, but the isthmus right there is a land bridge. And you can see where Athens is, and what makes this so unique is that at this place, there are two ports. There's one on each side of this land bridge. And it, the land bridge is only about four miles across. In fact, let me zoom in for you on this. It's only about four miles across of this, and so you've got this very narrow area where they put a port on both sides, and it was very dangerous to sail around the, the Peloponnesian Peninsula there. And so they built a port, and they were very constructive, and so they also built a road, a cargo road, and I've got a picture of that because we discovered this. This is a four-mile road. Most of it has been excavated. And it was a paved road that was specifically designed so you could pull the ship into one port, offload the cargo onto sleds, and there was major grooves in this road, and sled the cargo over to the other port, board another ship, or sometimes they would, they would empty the ship of all of its cargo because that was the valuable part of the ship, sail the ship around with a just a... Um, partial crew, and so the, if happened to be the ship was lost, you've managed your risk that way. If the ship was small enough, they would actually put it onto the sled and sled the ship across the four miles on this, this paved road. But just think about that. A city with two harbors, two ports, and you've got all this commerce going across the land, so ships would come in, and they would have to wait their turn. And you kind of develop a situation like we have off our coast, out in California, where you've got all the ships waiting to be offloaded because of supply chain problems. Well, that put a lot of people temporarily in Corinth for several weeks. And what do you do when you're in Corinth for several weeks? You spend money. And so they became very prosperous in this area, and it became a very international city. And so if if trade was going from Athens to Rome, it went through Corinth. If it went through most of the Mediterranean, it was going through Corinth on its way to Rome. And so you have this international city. You have this, this city that's bustling. It's growing. And it becomes a very spiritually enlightened place. Now, not spiritually like you and I think. Not spiritually as in Christian. But there's all these deities that they're worshiping. In fact... As you would go, make your way up to the top of that um, Acrocorinth that we saw in that first picture, top of that mountain, uh, there was a temple to Aphrodite, the god, the goddess of beauty and pleasure and sexuality. And part of that practice became that they would have what was known as temple prostitutes. And not only that, at the top. At the bottom, what you see in the foreground is a very famous temple to Apollo. And between them, on the way up to the top, as you made that climb, they have uncovered no fewer than six other temples. And so you have this idea that it's got all kinds of competing religions, all kinds of ideologies. You could go to Corinth and kind of whatever you wanted to believe in, there was probably a group that would land really close to you. And you kind of select among them. And Paul goes into this city and he spends 18 months and he preaches the gospel. 
And people hear it and they become convinced that Jesus is Lord. And a church forms. Now we said earlier in this series, when we first addressed it, we said that it's a church that's not like what we picture here today. They may have been only 30 or 40 total in strength, in numbers. Paul leaves, they continue as a church, and then some members of this church come, and they connect with Paul in another city, in another place, and they start giving a report. And the report's not that great. There's some problems. And so Paul writes a series of letters, 1 Corinthians being one of them. Now, we're not sure whether 1 Corinthians is actually the first letter he wrote, there's a good chance that it's not, but it's the first one that we have in our Bibles that's been captured. And so, if you open that back up to that very first passage again, here's how Paul opens this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. He says these things. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, let's pause for a second. This is the typical arrangement in a, in a first century letter where we start with dear so-and-so, and then we sign our names at the bottom, this, this format says, here's who the author is. It's Paul, and he's also with this man named Sothenes, and he's given him credit. Paul wrote the letter, but this may have been ideas that they were discussing together, but he's with him as a partner in this, and so this letter comes to them, and Paul says, I'm an apostle of Christ. Jesus. He goes on. Now... Second step in the letter, who's the audience? To the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is giving them or reminding them of their identity. Here's who you are. And he says, you're sanctified in Jesus. And that means you've been set apart. That's what the word sanctified means, that you've been set apart. You've, you're special. You, you've been identified as somebody that now lives under a new name, lives under a new creed, lives under a new lifestyle. And Paul is reminding this, and he's going to drive this anchor really deep says, let me tell you who you are. And then he's going to begin to address the problems that they have. Now, I'm going to go quickly here. But I just want to remind us of some of the struggles. Some of these we've already talked about as we've been uh, through our series previously. But here's a running list of the struggles that, that they're going to face in Corinth. Because, well, see if any of these sound familiar to our context today. Here we go. They're struggling with divisions that Paul launches in his whole deal in the very first chapter is that there's, there's this disunity in it. It's because they're all trying to follow their popular preacher. And I'm of him or I'm of him. And there's all these divisions going on and Paul calls them out on it. Next. Sexual immorality. There, there's a theme run through it. And remember, they're in the context of this city of Corinth where Sexuality has become a free license. It's become, you choose what's right for you. Other immoral practices are going on that Paul starts to begin, have, lumps those together. 
there's legal disputes going on. You've got Christians suing Christians inside the church. That probably adds in, into the divisions again. But you've got some people that, that are at odds with each other, and there's a financial stake in the game. There's these questions they have about marriage. Remember, they're sitting in a, a society that has a definitely different definition of marriage than the people that have come inside the church. Next, please. There's an issue with eating these foods that's been sanctified, that's been um, sacrificed, sorry, to, to idols. Remember, they're existing right alongside other religions, and they are nowhere near the dominant religion. And so there's these other practices as people are coming together. What's the right thing to do? How do we, how do we um, address these issues when somebody else is eating this food that had been sacrificed to an idol and part of another's worship? Misusing of spiritual gifts. Paul's going to talk about what happens when we're led by the Holy Spirit and we've got some gifts and people misuse those. Disruptions in worship in chapter 14. How, how is it when we come together? How is it when this church came together? Were people supposed to act and respond? And this is going to end with the resurrection. And Paul is going to walk them through because the letter is a letter of occasion, meaning it was written in a real time, in a real place, to address real concerns and real problems. And that's what we're going to discover as we walk back into the letter. Is that there is a way to approach this. And I'm so excited about this. And this is the thesis statement with which we've based this whole series on. And we're going to go back into. Because what I believe is, if you look at the cultural uh, dynamics of Corinth, the cultural dynamics of the first century, and you compare them to ours... So here's the thesis statement is this, that the 21st century dynamics greater resemble the 1st century dynamics than any century that's come in between. We are struggling with, we're challenged by, we face the very same things that the church in Corinth faced. That's why we're calling this a beginner's guide, because we're right where they are. And we're going to need to learn and heed some things from them. So, fair warning. I'm going to preach through the book. We're not skipping parts. Some of you go, I'm bringing popcorn. I'm going to watch. Some of you will be sweating bullets. I don't know. I, it's, but we're, we're going to address some very challenging, for some it may be some very difficult things, but what I want you to see is that this is Scripture, and I don't think Scripture is saying anything brand new to us, like, like now we, we've discovered something new about it. But I do think because our dynamic is so similar that we can hear it in a new way, in a fresh way, in a very relevant way. And there's going to be times, again, that you're going to think I'm cheating because it's going to seem so relevant to who we are and challenges and issues that we face that you're going to think I'm making it up, but I'm telling you it's coming right out of the Scripture, and it's the power of God at work in His Word. And so let me give you Paul's thesis statement as he's about to address all these problems, and we'll come to each of those, and we'll address them. But Paul is going to give us a framework around all of them. And, I'm, and what he's going to do is he's going to ask us to focus on a few things. 
And he's going to teach us to think in a new way. We're, we're going to learn how to reimagine, rethink some of this. And so he's going to give us something to hold on to. And so if you want to see Paul's thesis statement, I'm going to give it to you. It's in chapter 2. And I want you to turn there, and I want you to highlight this, circle this, put a big star by it, whatever it takes. Because here's what Paul's going to start off, and he's going to drive this stake in the ground early on. He says, For our resolve to know nothing while was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And for Paul, what he's doing is he's saying, we're going to learn to think in a new way. He's going to get to all their problems. He's going to get very nitty-gritty. Here's how this works out. But he's got to start with how they're thinking about stuff. And he's got he's to get them to think like a follower of Jesus. Have you ever met somebody that they're so good at their job, you realize that that's just how they think all the time? You know, maybe you're a sports coach, and so you're always able to analyze and think quickly about, about sports. I hear there's a game later on today that some of you will be watching differently than I watch it because you'll be watching how the plays unfold and in your mind you're mentally trained. You're always thinking like that. Or... Or maybe you're into cars. And so you see cars go down the street and you can hear what kind of engine it is in it. And you're always thinking that way. So you approach cars differently than anybody else. Maybe you're um, a cook or a chef. And so when you go out to eat, we can sit down at the same meal. I can enjoy the meal, but you're seeing it in a whole different light. You're, you're aware of the process that got to get the food on the plate of the cooking process, the baking process, and the ingredients, and you're trying to think. You think like that. Well, see, what Paul is going to challenge us to do is he's going to work, us, work with us to think like a follower of Jesus, and he's going to say it boils down to two things. And he's going to book in the book with this. He's going to begin with the crucifixion, and he's going to end in chapter 15 with the resurrection. And so for Paul, these are the lenses through which we look at all of life. All of our how do we address this begins with the crucifixion, the resurrection, the cross, and the empty, empty tomb. And those are the lenses through which we view the whole world. Those are going to be the lenses with which we start to think about what's it mean as we approach our sexuality. What does it mean as we approach our worship? What does it mean as we approach how we treat one another. And so he's going to take all of these very practical, relevant discussions that are so important for them and for us to be having. He's going to say, but it all begins with the cross and with the resurrection. And through that, we learn how to interpret everything else. So here's the challenge. Which of the voices are we going to listen to? Because we have some voices going on just like Corinth. See, Corinth was set in a certain time and a place. And so there's all these competing religions. There's all these competing politics. There's all these competing um, ideologies. All of these competing uh, things that are coming in from culture. And so Paul is going to have to address those. And he wants to 
them to change their set of glasses from culture to Christ. So are we going to listen to culture or are we going to listen to Christ? Now, I would imagine in a group like this, most of us go, we're going to listen to Christ. See, that's not going to be our hang-up, is it? Because there's some of us in here that are not going to like what also Paul addresses. Because Paul's also talking not just to a group of Gentiles that are coming out of, the, out of the world, somebody that's not a Jew, coming from the pagan practice of the temple to Aphrodite to, into this Christian church. He's also talking about a group of Jewish people that now hold up Jesus as Lord. And to them, he's going to challenge their thinking as well. Because they want to hold on to all that they've ever known. And so the question for us is, are we going to trust our tradition or Christ? And th- this is where we're going to, as best we can, guided by the Holy Spirit, we're going to let God's Word open us up, and we're not going to hold anything back, and let us begin to retell the story of Jesus as the one that we follow, the one that was crucified, and all that that means. And the one that walked out of the tomb and all that that means. And that is Paul's call from beginning to end of the book, this letter that we have of 1 Corinthians. God, I tell you, I've been so grateful for so many of you that have been so encouraging to me. And you've been so eager to get back into this letter. And and you sent me texts and emails and thank you for all of that. I'm right there with you. I've, I've been looking forward to being back here where I feel like Scripture is going to reveal things to us as we learn what it means to be this idea of being church again. So I want you to bring the journals each time, which is your online, follow along in those, and let's go on this journey together as we figure out which voice are we going to listen to. And Paul's going to call us time and time again back to the one that laid down his life for us and then rose again. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, pray that as we are so similar to the Corinthians and we're trying to figure this out, that you would open your word to us. You would challenge us to all the extra stuff that we try to pile in there, that you would clear that away and you would help us to think like Jesus followers. Think like ones that follow a man who went to a cross. Think like ones that believe in the impossible about what you can do because the tomb is empty. Father, I pray that you would rewire us, that you would change us by the power of your Spirit that you would open the scripture to us and help us to hear with fresh ears what you're saying to us. Father, I pray. I pray as we go on this journey that Paul leads us on, as he challenged this early, early group of followers of you uh, to live differently because of it. So, Father, I pray this week as we analyze whatever voices are competing whether it's the voice of culture, the voice of comfort zone, the voice of politics, or the voice of personal preference. 
whatever it is, Father, that we would clear the clutter away and see you. Father, ask all this in the name of the one for whom Paul gave his life for. In his name we pray. Amen.